your talk show for all things automotive. From the latest news to the greatest views. And the biggest names in rolling iron. Your host is Brett Hatfield, freelance auto journalist, senior auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine and American Car Collector Magazine, writer and editor of ReadTheDriven.com. And owner of his own small but growing fleet of cool cars. Get behind the wheel of an hour of car toss starting right now. Thank you for listening to Driven Radio. We know your time's valuable, so we work hard to bring you the best in automotive content and interviews. You can listen to us online at readthedriven.com, on iTunes, Pippa, Stitcher, Google Play, and everywhere fine podcasts are heard. Please follow us on on Facebook at forward slash Driven Radio Show, on Twitter at Driven Radio Show, on Instagram at Read the Driven. And we're coming to you live, well, semi-live. From the Driven Radio Studios in Kansas City's historic West Bottoms, I'm your host, Brett Hatfield, here with my returning co-host, Vern Estes, Shelby expert and owner of the world's lowest volume car dealership, Vern Estes Classics. Wait, I'm here? You're here. Oh, wow. Hmm. You're not in Indianapolis. Boy. There you go. Uh, You know, this week we've got some really cool stuff. We've got interesting car world news from Shelby and Ferrari. Uh, we've got the always intriguing Gary and Muffy Bennett of Lake Auctions to discuss the upcoming Tulsa sale and also a really cool announcement. And we've got Denny Eddy of Casey Showdown Productions to talk to us about events he's going to be putting on this summer. So, uh, let's get to it. See who, who fed it and who ate it this week. Um, cool, cool Cobras out of the Mecham Indy sale. You might say the coolest Cobras. Where you were last week. Yep. And uh, it was a great time. So you're there. You knew the former owner of the collection. Yeah, Stephen. And uh, tell us about what was at Indy. Well, uh, Stephen Giuliano uh, passed away this year, and uh, his collection of both not only cars but also memorabilia came up for auction. And so I just I had I had nothing to buy or sell at Indy, but I just had to uh, go up and and see everything. Well, uh, in addition to the Cobras, didn't he have some really cool, unique uh, one-off Mopars? You know, he not only had well, he had a history of owning unique and one-off Mopars, including what might you know. In the, I'm not a Mopar guy per se. I love Mopars. I'm just not specialized in it. But he owned the uh, the Dodge Demonte at one point, which was a derivative of a Challenger convertible, as a one-off show car, Hemi Challenger convertible. I mean, it's <laughs> so maybe cool. maybe the most. Uh, I don't, again, not a Mopar expert, but maybe one of the most desirable Mopars ever produced. But Steven owned a lot of stuff. I mean, he had he had other Cobras uh, in his past in addition to the four that were currently in his collection and, and were being sold. He was he was an interesting cat. Uh, he was a good buddy of mine and uh, just somebody who uh, the rare quality of he would tell you exactly what he thought at any given time with no regard for who was listening. So he was one of those few guys that would give it to you straight all the time. Unfiltered. Um, completely unfiltered, but a total sweetheart too. Uh, kind but, of a rough exterior, but just like the nicest, most genuine uh, human being you could ever meet. But the other thing I understand about Stephen Giuliano, uh, both from you and things I've read, is he had the most exacting standards he did, and he had an unusual taste. I mean, the first time I ever met Stephen, uh, he got in contact with me because I used to and still do buy and sell a pretty significant amount of original Shelby American-related materials, memorabilia, showroom postcards, brochures, posters, every keychains, lighters, whatever it is, all your little tchotchkes and trinkets. Sure. And uh, Stephen reached out to me one night, and I'd always heard his name, and he wanted to buy a few things from me. And he said, I'm surprised we've never 
met because I'm so into this kind of stuff too. And I, I started asking about what he had in his collection and he told me, I knew the cars that he had and I knew how significant they were. And he told me, I'm like 14 years old at the time buying and selling this stuff. And he says, yeah, I really only collect the cars because I love the memorabilia and I wanted cars to complement the memorabilia. <laughs> and I thought, holy smokes. You know, I mean, just he had one of his Cobra memorabilia collection was not even close in size to his Mopar collection. He had the biggest, most significant collection of Mopar memorabilia in the world. I believe by the time it was over, he was only missing like two original showroom pieces oh, goodness. of everything ever produced, which in, in terms of Mopars and the rapid transit system and all the advertising went between Dodge Chrysler Plymouth, he had everything. And so the sh at the show, all of this stuff was there. Uh, he was just, and, and just kind of speaking to, you know, the level of how meticulous he was. I mean, he was, I used to call him, I used to joke around with him whenever I was either talking on the phone with him on the phone or in person. And I used to call him a complete freak of nature. And I would always say that I meant that in the most complimentary fashion, because he was so meticulous about every one of his Cobras had to not only have original parts on them, but they had to be assembly line, day one, pre-service parts. So every Cobra that was being sold at the auction had original tires with the nubs still on them, 50-year-old tires. And they weren't dry rotted and crappy. They were nice. They were perfect. So let's get to that. Uh, the first car of note there was a 67 427. Uh, uh, SC Roadster. Yeah. And one of only 31 ever built. One of 31 ever built. Uh, in terms of SCs, there's a number of cars that exist that are low mileage or let's say unusually nice compared to how Cobras generally survive in one form or another. Cobras are generally ridden hard and put away wet. Sure. They are, even in street form, they are essentially race cars they were generally way more car than their initial retail buyers ever intended to get into. And so Cobras, more than most cars, have pretty messy histories for the most part. This car was the last SC, and I think the last 427 in general ever retailed new. Uh, it was owned by Ned Scudder, who's the Cobra Registrar of the World for the Shelby American Automobile Club. And Stephen bought it. Uh, because he didn't feel like the car was being properly preserved long after <laughs> Ned had owned it, and somebody was swapping out the induction system on it, and he couldn't simply just couldn't tolerate that that would happen, so he bought the car. That car sold for $2.6 million high bid, which is $2.86 uh, all in, which, which you would think, uh, your layman might think that that's a lot of money, and it uh, it's, not, uh, it's not terrible for an SC Cobra, but whoever bought that car got a great deal. Uh, there, there's been, you know, an SC has traded for 3.2 million at auction and that car, uh, so arguably one of the finest in the world, if not the finest, uh, you know, you could ask that question for all four of the Cobras that are sold. And the truth is that for all four of them, I would never call an individual car the best, the ever. best because it depends your qualifications for the term. But I would say that you, any of Giuliano's Cobras, you can't say that there's any other car in the world that is head and shoulders above any one of them. They're at least so, in the conversation. At least for the comparable best. with anything else out it, there. It can't, in my, I don't think it's overstepping by saying any one of them can't necessarily get any better. Okay. So next car, uh, the a regular 66 427 Roadster. This car, oddly enough, was my very favorite of all. I, I, was, I was talking with people all weekend, a lot of buddies standing around the cars, and most people like the SC the best because it's the rarest. Some people like the Dragon Snakes and the 289. 
Um, this 66 427 Roadster was a restored car, but if somebody didn't know it had been completely restored, the patina on it was so perfect that most people would assume it had never been restored. Unbelievable. And, and that car for... brought for world record money at $2.2 million at public auction, which uh, at least for public auction eclipses the red 427 Cobra that we talked about maybe five episodes ago sure. that hammered at 1.7. So that's a half, that, that shows you the quality because that car was an extremely low mileage car at 1.7 and uh, this beat it by half a million dollars. So there was also a 64 289 Roadster. Yeah, and then that hammered at 1.6. Uh, that's an interesting car because that car was retailed new here in Kansas. Uh, that car... I can only, I can't imagine who ordered that car new because that car was given more factory options than any 289 streetcar ever made. It was essentially built to competition specification, even though it was a streetcar at a stage three uh, Weber inducted engine. In fact, the yellow dragon snake that we'll talk about in a second, uh, those two cars are the only two 289 Cobras ever delivered from the factory to a non-competition buyer, a private buyer as a not a factory team car with Weber carburetors. Unbelievable. And so the final car was that 65 bright yellow dragon snake. Yeah. And, and that one did not sell, but uh, nonetheless, a great car. Probably, uh, I mean, certainly one of the best of the well, six dragon snakes ever produced. For the uninitiated, what's a dragon snake? Uh, a dragon snake. I mean, we talked about in a past episode of my little escapades with uh, with 65 and 6 Shelby drag cars. The dragon snakes pre, uh, predated the 65 and 6 drag program. They were uh, 289 Cobras. Uh, they built six cars from the factory. Two of them were run by the factory as team cars and four were delivered to customers. You could buy these cars. They were horrendously expensive. Uh, this car was bought, uh, I believe by a young man in Pennsylvania, but I could be completely wrong on yeah, that. And, uh, and it was raced Don, by him. Don and Mike Reimer. Yeah. In Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Um, you know, he chose a, a, a color, a yellow color to match uh, his T-Bird that he wanted to tow it with. He had a custom trailer <laughs> made. Uh, and that car, again, when that car was restored, the Cobra community regarded that as the finest Cobra restoration ever done. And then when the red car that we had just spoken about, those retailed in Kansas, the other stage three car was restored, that was probably the only car that ever eclipsed it. So that gives you an idea of kind of how, how Stephen was. And you know, another thing about his meticulous nature that we forgot to mention on that 427 Roadster is one of my favorite Stephen Giuliano stories is that his 427 Street Roadster needed side curtains because every car that Stephen had had to be complete down to the very last thing. And when he needed side curtains, um, he wanted a perfect set. And nobody uses side curtains on Cobras for the most part. So they generally sure. get uh, put off to the side, lost. They're difficult to find. Could never find a perfect condition set to match that car. So what Stephen decided to do is that he bought every single set on the open and private market that he could find. And we're talking about piles. Every, every set of side curtains. Every set he could find. Piles of side curtains. And he went through every last one of them. And he took them apart, examined what was original and what had been replaced in each one. And then he, when he took them apart, he took the best parts off of all of these side curtains, assembled one set of two, and then sold the rest off to other Cobra stores. You're kidding me. So he ended up with a perfect set of side curtains after all that effort. I mean, but the stories go on and on. I could go on all night about Stephen. What a special guy he was. Well, we've got a link to the full article you can find on readthedriven.com. Uh, real quickly, because we are way tight on time, I'm really proud of this next story, mostly because we had it, we at The Driven had it uh, over a month ago. Yeah, sure did. And 
uh, courtesy of some of our inside sources, we managed managed to announce this car's debut at the tail end of April. This past Wednesday, Ferrari unveiled its most powerful road car to date, the 986-horsepower SF90 Stradale. Uh, It's the automaker's first production plug-in hybrid. you can't this thing it has a turbo ga, a turbo charged gas motor that delivers 769 horse but the remaining 217 horse is supplied by three electric motors uh the car will do 0 to 60 in 2.5 seconds 0 to 125 in 6.7 seconds top speed is over 211 miles an hour you know, there were a lot of stats and a lot of cool things on this and a lot of stuff that uh, uh, it's a it's not a limited edition car. Uh, production will run for four to five years. Uh, deliveries are expected to start in Europe in the first half of 2020, while U.S. deliveries will happen a couple of months after that. You know what I got from this? The biggest takeaway from this, and I know neither of us are really Ferrari guys, but... There was something interesting to this. It doesn't have a reverse gear for the gasoline engine. You can only operate it in reverse electrically. Is that a weight savings thing? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. I don't know. I think a lot of these manufacturers go out of their way to save weight in a lot of really silly ways for cars that are street cars. You know, for the most part, these things are going to be parked in downtown Naples Mm -hmm. by guys that have sweaters tied around their (laughs) neck, like salmon colored sweaters and like, you know, braided uh, and like braided... uh, belts and you know it's so ridiculous well, they, like but you don't have a reverse they gear. didn't announce pricing for this yet but they expect it to be a little lower than the 1.2 million euros they were asking for the la ferrari when it came out well you know what's odd too is that it's supposed to slot below the la ferrari but it's also faster so hey technology yeah i get that i understand that um, it's, it, they got a lot of firsts for this. It's the first Ferrari equipped with all wheel drive, uh, first Ferrari, uh, production plug-in first Ferrari with a brake by wire system, uh, first Ferrari with a 16 inch curved high def digital infotainment system. Oh, well, thank God. Cause yeah, we well, all needed that in our Ferrari. Everybody needed a giant iPad in the middle of their dash. Anyway, we've got, so they l- saved weight with no reverse gear, but they put a 16 inch curved screen in the interior. <laughs> I didn't tell him to do that. <laughs> At any rate, uh, we've got a link to the full article on this. There's lots and lots of detail to be had there. You can find that on readthedriven.com. Next up, we've got this week's special guests, plural. We've got Gary and Muffy Bennett of Lake Auctions, and uh, we'll be talking to them about a lot of the big changes that are going on at Lake, what to expect from the upcoming Tulsa sale, and an exciting announcement they've got. that They're going to uh, – we are the first to announce for them here on Driven Radio. All this and much more coming up in just a minute. Welcome back to Driven Radio, coming to you from Driven Radio Studios in Kansas City's historic West Bottoms. Today we're talking with uh, Gary and Muffy Bennett of Leak Auctions. 
Uh, you know, Vern, one of the problems with uh, doing introductions for people who've accomplished a lot is it starts to sound a little bit like a dictionary. Sure. Uh, but with that said, uh, Gary Bennett is a formal, former architectural firm owner. Uh, he's owned a Highline auto dealership, a collector car auction company. He's been the president of Lister North America, president of the Sooner section of the Mercedes-Benz of North America Club, uh, a winning race car driver. He designed his own V8 engine motorcycle that used the engine as a stressed member rather than the frame. Uh, had a 17-year career with Barrett Jackson. He spearheaded the company's growth, earnings, public attendance, television coverage, charitable involvement, and business sponsorship with Chrysler, Ford, and GM. And uh, But the most important thing was he married Muffy. Um, Muffy has been a gearhead from the jump. Uh, this you got to love this girl. She matched her prom dress to the 59 T-Bird she took to prom. Wow. Uh, she spent 17 years as a paralegal in uh, business and entertainment law. Uh, she's owned her own uh, collector car dealership. In 2013, she set up the retail division of Barrett-Jackson Auctions, known as the Barrett-Jackson Collection. Uh, the collection offered a full-service center, detailing insurance, merchandise, and collector cars. Uh, she's also an avid motorcyclist, target shooter, which is why Gary really behaves himself. Uh, she also has a racing license and she donates time to charity auctions and f she's also the judge of the International Auction Auctioneers Championship. Uh, Gary and Muffy, good Lord. You too, would you sit still, please? <laughs> well, you, I tell you what, I need to take a nap after that. I didn't realize how tired I was. I cut a Brett, lot of stuff Brett out. has that general uh, effect on people sometimes. So, <laughs> Thanks very little. <laughs> yeah, we got an auction coming up next week, so it's all good. Well, and a few years ago, uh, Gary and Muffy were recruited by Ritchie Brothers to lead their entry into the collector car auction world and, with uh, Ritchie Brothers' purchase of the Lake, Auto, uh, the Lake Collector Car Auction. And they've been busy making big changes and really driving Lake Ford, so... I guess right out of the gate, let's talk about some of those big changes. Uh, what's new since we talked last? And I hear there's a lot of familiar faces from the collector car auction world that are at Lake now. Well, yeah, actually, Brett, um, we've, we've had the uh, delight of bringing on the Asseter and Associates auction team, which um, were the our world-class auctioneers, formerly of Barrett-Jackson. And in addition to that, um, we've, we've got the Brian and Jason Rose, who are also from Barrett-Jackson, the consignment team. And uh, lest we neglect to, to mention Renee Farley, who is also the bidder department manager uh, and also oversees, uh, oversaw several other departments at Barrett-Jackson uh, during Gary's tenure. And they, they were um, responsible and, and, and key in, in the extensive growth that Barrett-Jackson experienced and, and brought it into what it is today. And we're just we're just thrilled to be working alongside such such talent and, and such professionalism and and uh, you know it, it should be they're a great addition to the Lake team. And Brent, in addition to what she just said, the thing that I'm so proud of is that everyone she just mentioned worked directly with me at Barrett Jackson, and they were they were stellar in their roles. Uh, Jason and Brian ran the consignment department for me. Uh, Renee ran the bidder VIP department for us, and of course, Spanky, uh, I was responsible for that part of the, that business as well, and he he did the auctioneering there for my goodness, I want to say 
about he was he was he was working as an auctioneer when I came to Barrett Jackson and then took over the lead role. I want to say in about 2002 or three, and uh, it, it, it's I couldn't be more proud to have put this group of people together again. And what, what that does for us, and, and I know you guys get this and so will your listeners, it gives you confidence. And everyone in that, that we just named has been doing this for a long time. Renee was part of this for over eight years. The Rose Brothers for 13 plus. Spanky, I just mentioned. I mean, it, it's it, all the ingredients are there for success. And then we have the Ritchie Brothers brand behind us, the power of that publicly traded corporation. They're the largest auction house, live auction house, and internet auction house in the world. And uh, it's kind of like having a big a big V8 with a supercharger on it under your hood, so to speak. It sounds like a lot of the team that you cultivated at Barrett followed you, which speaks very highly for what you've done everywhere you go. Well, I, I'm just proud they're part of the team. I could, it, it's an honor to work with them. And I felt the same way when we were at Barrett Jackson, and 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 it was it was a great run at Barrett Jackson. I couldn't be more proud of how that turned out either. Uh, you know, it's a great organization. It's it's a, it, it's our contribution is what it was, and uh, it was a chance for us to do something different and uh, get in our own arena, if you will, and with Ritchie Brothers backing and do something in a way. I'm hoping do nothing more than just give people an option and provide better customer service and better results uh, in the auction world. Everyone's looking for something else. Yeah. I hope we can provide that for them. Yeah, we, we've actually got a bidder base, um, a global bidder base, uh, 3.3 million registered bidders. No in, registered active. I'm sorry, active, excuse me. That's a big difference. In 155 <laughs> different Yeah, I know, big difference. <laughs> and we have access to that. And so, you know, I, that's unprecedented in the in the collector car world, and uh, may very well be unprecedented in the auction business worldwide. Uh, I, I'm just thrilled that we have this opportunity to do what we're doing and and see what a difference we can make. That that's yet to be proven. We're working on it. Uh, I've been involved now for a little less than a year, and Muffy's been involved in it for two years, and and we've made, in my opinion, some great strides and have nothing but uh, good things ahead of us. And I'm looking forward to Tulsa. It's coming on us like a, a tsunami. It's there. We're speaking to Gary and Muffy Bennett of uh, Lake Collector Car Auctions. And with this next sale, uh, there are some really unique things going on uh, with this sale coming up in Tulsa. Can you talk about the Tulsa auction and what com- what we can expect to see on the docket? Brett, yes. The docket is very diversified, which is what you want. Our goal is to have something for everyone. Uh, we, we, Brett, we, we want to have the diversification. We want to be sure that we have cars that people that come as buyers can actually buy, and that equates back to no reserve cars. A reserve car in the best situation is typically about a 50-50, whether it's going to sell or not. I mean, I couldn't be more proud of this accomplishment. In the 55 years that Lake's been in business, we are at a point where we're nearly at 50% of the offering is no reserve in Tulsa. Unprecedented. Wow. And the cars, the cars that are no reserve range from a 1961 356B uh, Cabriolet uh, to a 
2018, I believe it is, Z06 uh, serial number one Corvette. That's cool. 300 miles. That's a pretty big swing between those, and they're all no reserve. And then have we have uh, a, a amazing thing happen? Just last week, I was able to to close on putting together the Roy Clark collection. Mr. Roy Clark, the uh, Hee Haw, famous from the Hee Haw series, and banjo player, guitar player, extraordinaire, Grammy Award winner. He's done it all. Uh, he was kind of he's a real car guy, and we have eight of his finest cars going through the sale at no reserve in Tulsa. Very cool. And that is so, so I'm, I'm so proud of that. He lived in Tulsa as well, which is a big deal for people in Oklahoma. Now, so a lot of great things going on. You're, you talk about having nearly 50% of the cars at no reserve. How do you accomplish that? Well, I believe this. I think that the way the way you it, it's a process, and clearly it's got to evolve. You can't just expect people to jump on the wagon and say, "Hey, I trust you, sell my car." And it boils down and to take it to the essence, it is based on performance and results. If you have an auction team and a, and a group of people that can execute, and you can get the buyers there, then and the cars bring what the consumer, the seller, is looking for then you're going to have great results and, and, and people are happy with that, but you have to, you have to be able to perform. And then another part of that, the other component of the performance is you need to manage expectations of sellers on the front end of the conversation on the consignment process. You need to be sure the guy's got a Corvair that he's got a hundred thousand dollars in doesn't mean it's worth a hundred thousand dollars. And in the no reserve world, we're very much like the stock market is when you, it doesn't matter what you paid for the stock. It doesn't matter what it may be worth in the future. It's what we're going to get for it that very day. You decide to sell that asset, and turn it into money. So you do your best to just communicate that to your potential consigners and let them make the decision. I can honestly say in the 20 years I've been in this business, I have never tried to talk anyone into selling a car at no reserve. I need to live with myself. I need to be able to look at myself in the mirror. I can't guarantee anything, but when you talk about no reserve cars typically bring more money simply because people that are bidding on them know they can really own them. I know they're going to sell. That's right. And a reserve car is essentially a car that has a retail price, and it may be unrealistic enough where uh, most savvy auction people won't bid on a reserve car until they realize it's for sale. And as a result, there's no energy, there's no excitement, there's really sometimes no activity. There are no reserve cars across the block at Barrett-Jackson, every Meekum, every other auction house that never have a single bid on it. Auctioneers go through the process, but there's never been a real bid. We're speaking with Gary and Muffy Bennett of Lake Auction Company. Uh, when we come back, we'll discuss some more of the changes that have gone on with Lake, uh, some of the... Uh, some of the lots that they have coming up at the Tulsa sale and also some of, uh, well, there's a, they've got a big announcement for us. So we'll be right back after this on Driven Radio.
Welcome back to Driven Radio, coming to you from Driven Radio Studios. We're speaking with Gary and Muffy Bennett of Lake Auctions. Uh, when we left, we were talking about some of the no-reserve lots you've got uh, coming up for the Tulsa sale. Um, you've got a really cool Jeep Commando that you're going to auction for charity. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. That 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 car is being auctioned off with no reserve, obviously, for the Austin Hatcher Foundation. And when I when I was uh, in my the year of my non compete with Barrett Jackson, I volunteered my time uh, for the Austin Hatcher Foundation and to help raise funds. And actually, was a huge proponent for them uh, uh, when I was at Barrett Jackson. And then what it is, it's a children's charity for pediatric cancer. The two founders, uh, Jim and Amy Jo uh, Osborne, had a child, a perfect child born, and uh, less than two weeks later was gone with cancer. Oh, my. And it's just hard to even imagine. So uh, they're, they're our official charity. We, we do other things for other charities, and we want to, and we will. But one of the things I want to do is be sure that we focus on them because they do so much good. I've learned so much about what they do and how they do it. And uh, it's really important that we do that. Um, this particular car, uh, we sold in Dallas, and it was donated back. Um, Michelle Mozzie and her family bought it and donated it back before it left the auction block, and we sold it again. And the people that bought it the second time had decided now they want to donate it back and give it to the Austin Hatcher Foundation as well. So it, it's, isn't it, that says volumes about the collector car community, Brett. I mean, it, 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 it is a, an amazing world, the people that love cars. And you and I and Muffy and everyone we're associated with are so lucky to be involved in this industry. Uh, that is true. That is true. Uh, the collector car world's probably one of the most generous bodies of people you'll ever find. It absolutely is indeed. Now this, to be a part of it. this upcoming sale is going to be one where uh, you guys have got some new and uh, pretty impressive sponsors, right? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we do. We're, we're thrilled that we're uh, uh, Jack Daniels is our official spirit sponsor now. Oh. They came on board. They're gonna, yeah, Imagine that, huh? They're, good, they're bringing out their giant rig, and they're going to set it up and, and have it on display um, uh, on, the, on, on the side of the auction block, along with our sponsor, Reliable Carriers. It, we're, we're just thrilled to have them on board. They, you know, it's kind of crazy. Uh, Brett is actually an official brand ambassador for Jack Daniels. He's, he's not paid, <laughs> but uh, he seems to always have a bottle on him. So. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, uh, we'll be sure to introduce you to all of them, Brett. Well, one, uh, in, addition, in addition to what Muffy just mentioned, uh, we have some other major sponsors that we've been talking. They've actually come to us that we're we're talking with and want to get involved with us. That that at this particular time we can't mention names. We have a a wonderful car care product uh, manufacturer. We have uh, some automotive manufacturers that are interested. It 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 is unprecedented, uh, in my opinion, based on the world I've come from to have this much interest in something that's nearly, it's hard to say that a 55-year-old company is a startup, but when you consider where where Lake got started and where it had gone and where we are now with Ritchie Brothers and all the things that are happening, 
it is almost like a new industry. And we're, we have this amazing uh, amount of interest by some most amazing partners you could imagine. And I look forward to those announcements in the near future because I think it'll be uh, it'll be a shot heard around the world. Now, speaking of uh, of new announcements, yeah, or, uh, I was, I or was startups, looking, or looking you know, forward to this. I guess you guys might have a little announcement about where you guys are going to be in the, in the month of January this year. We do. We're going to be in Scottsdale, Arizona, 2020. Yes. Very cool. Awesome. Absolutely, and we're we're going to be in here. We're going to be in auction week, car week, and uh, I I can't wait. I'm so excited about what that opportunity is and what what the future holds for us with regard to this. And of course, we're we're headquartered here, and uh, it's just perfect, in my opinion, for what we're trying to do. We're already getting consignments. We are. It's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's it's so much fun, and and everybody's so excited. And yeah, we're we're really really looking forward to it. Do you guys have any sort of uh, even just a slight idea of how many cars to expect for that sale? Our, we're gonna, yes, we're gonna target a thousand cars. Wow, uh, that's a big sale. Looking, yeah, we're gonna try to have a four-day sale. Uh, that's our goal. Uh, it, I believe it's attainable and realistic. Uh, we're, and I want everyone in this business to be successful. And I think competition helps us all be better at what we do. And and at the end of the day, the real reality of that is the consumer buyer or seller depending on which side of the equation you're on and many of them are on both sides of the equation at the same time are the ultimate beneficiaries of of good competition so we just want to go out there and do the best job we can and uh earn everybody's business and earn their respect and 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 probably more importantly show them how much we appreciate the opportunity to do business with them i think that's one of the things that's gotten lost in the making money side of this business is people just take the consigners for granted. And at the end of the day, the reality is if you don't have consigners, you can't have an auction. Uh, it, it, it's reality. Most consigners end up being buyers, but if you don't have the cars, it's no different than NASCAR. NASCAR can have all the most tracks in the world. If you don't have race car teams and cars and drivers, they can't sell tickets. They can't have anything. And to us, our life's blood is our consigners, and and the way to the way to take care of them is do a good job for them. And and I'm proud of something I'm about to share with you. I've had people bring cars to Barrett Jackson when I was in that role, and couldn't make them any promises what their cars were going to do at all. But and sometimes the cars wouldn't do what they'd hoped for or what we'd even thought they might do. That happens. But I've had every without fail had them come up to me not angry. They might have been disappointed but they stuck their hands out and shaking my hand and said, Gary, it didn't do what we hoped it would do, but you did everything you said you'd do. And for that, I am grateful and thank you. That is fantastic. That's all I want to have the opportunity to do with this new business model we're working on and what we're doing here is do that kind of job. Uh, we're speaking with Gary and Muffy Bennett of Lake Auction Company. Now, we had you two on back in November, and there's one question that I try to work into inter- every interview, and it's even better here because I get a double dip with the pair of you, and it is my runaway favorite question every time. What is the dumbest thing you've ever done in a car? 
Oh my God, the list is so long. No. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you go first? All right, I'll go first. Um, well, I think I think I think getting out of a moving car when I was behind the wheel is probably <laughs> a dumb thing. <laughs> Let me give you some background information, okay? Just some some background into why I did that. So I was at a drive-through. Uh, years ago, it was a, a fast food drive-through, and I had a girlfriend with me, and she had been overserved, and I was the designated driver that night. Well, um, this was a long, long time ago, um, and I was driving my eighty Datsun two hundred SX, and uh, <laughs> she looked down and, and saw my pepper spray, and the label had worn off of it because I carried it in my purse so much, and and this this poor soul said. Oh, all I heard was, oh, Banaka. Oh, <laughs> she didn't, she sprayed it in her face. <laughs> and, and because the residue goes everywhere, I have asthma. So I instantly, my eyes welled up and my nose started running like nobody's business. And I started to cough. And, and, and the car is going like two miles an hour to this drive through Fortunately, there was no one in front of me because I bailed out because that's just trying to get away from me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not one of those epic mess-ups that, you know. You no, but that's expect, beautiful. But, that's beautiful. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty solid. Normally, I'd be able to, you know, hold the wheel and be okay. But because I had snot running out my nose and tears <laughs> running down my face, it just wasn't going to happen. Well, mine isn't nearly as funny. Uh, but I, in, when I was 16 years old in 1960, my dad had a brand new 59 Mercury and I got my driver's license and I took that car to the Tulsa International Drag Strip, which was an airport at the time, uh, North, North Tulsa Airport. And I raced it, drag raced it. And I won L stock with it and took it. I couldn't even get the trophy. I just got my buddies. We put the hubcaps back on it, air cleaner back on it and we drove home. Well, that information was put in the newspaper on Monday, and <laughs> my, my dad was told about it at the barber shop on Tuesday. And after that happened, everything that happened to that car from that moment on, if the cigarette lighter quit working or the clock, it's because you took it racing. Around, absolutely, <laughs> and and that's my boy. And I've it, it, that never went away. Let me just say that. How long ago after that did you get your own car? Well, I, I ended up having an accident in that car, and that was the final straw. And uh, my dad told me I needed to get my own car. I, I wanted that anyway, but uh, he didn't think I needed one. So. That's, that's anyway, awesome. It was. It was. It was. And then, uh, yeah, I got in a lot of trouble over that, to say that the least. But, uh, We've been talking with Gary and Muffy Bennett of Lake Auctions. Lake Auctions could be found at www.lakecar.com, on Facebook at forward slash Lake Car, on Twitter at forward slash Lake Car, and on Instagram at forward slash Lake Car. Muffy can be found at muffybennett.com, on Facebook at forward slash Muffy Bennett, on Instagram at muffy.bennett, and on Twitter at, at forward slash Muffy Bennett. Gary Bennett can be found on Facebook at forward slash gary.bennett.3597 and on Instagram at forward slash the real Gary Bennett. Gary Bennett's hair 
can be found on Facebook at forward slash Gary Bennett's dot hair. Of course, you can find every damn one of these links on www.readthedriven.com. Gary Muffy, thank you so much for being with us. It's been a pleasure, and I will see you next week at the auction in Tulsa. Uh, We'll be right back on Driven Radio with Denny Eddy of KC Showdown Promotions coming up here on Driven Radio. Welcome back to Driven Radio, coming to you from Driven Radio Studios in Kansas City's historic West Bottoms. We're here today with uh, Denny Eddy. He's the owner and promote, uh, owner and founder of KC Showdown Promotions. Uh, four years ago, Denny began organizing car shows as fundraisers for his father's paralysis recovery center, Next Step Kansas City. Uh, for each of the last four years, his efforts and, uh, and shows have seen pretty steady growth. The inaugural event was held at Stonegate Motor Plaza in Stillwell, uh, and he had a turnout of about 125 cars. Uh, Denny then decided to move the event to a larger venue, relocating it to the uh, T-Bone Stadium parking lot in 2018, where the show almost tripled in size with over 350 entries. Uh, He's got friends and family helping him out to man these events, and Denny's been able to schedule multiple gatherings this year. Denny, welcome to Driven Radio. Thank you very much. Um, So how did you come up with the idea to begin organizing car shows as fundraisers? Well, my dad's company always put on these uh, little charity events and stuff, and we were always looking to raise some money in some type of way. And I went to car shows, been going to them for 15, 20 years, and I thought, well, maybe I could do that myself. So I found a place, Stonegate Motor Plaza. Uh, Jeff and them down there, they were pretty nice. They said, we'll give you the spot for free because oh. they're a new company. They were coming out with those buildings, and they wanted to, you know, publicity to come out there. Oh, absolutely. So what I did is got a hold of them, got a hold of everybody else, got a hold of family and friends, got a bunch of volunteers together, and one thing led to another. Next thing you know, we got a car show going on. So... When you start organizing a car show, when you decide you're going to do a car show, what do you do first? What are the first steps you take? Well, your first step you would have to do is find the location, make sure you got the right spot, make sure that nothing's going on in that spot for, you know, the date you've chosen, uh, make sure it fits roughly three, 400 cars, because you never know what the turnout's going to be. Sure. Uh, Make sure you got plenty of room for spectators parking or anything like that. Uh, you know, just talk to the owner, management, or whoever it might be, and, you know, get a feel for what's going on with them first. Then if they say, yes, you can do it there, negotiate a price. If it's free, bet, you know, we're in for that. Negotiations are over. Yeah. <laughs> do you ever encounter any uh, any surprises while organizing them? What are the biggest surprises you've had? Uh, the biggest surprises... Uh, I would say would be not uh, competing or going up against any other other car shows. Oh, uh, other events taking place. Yeah, on the any same other day. events taking place. Uh, try not to like. I'll reach out to other car show promoters and make sure they have nothing going on that day, so I can tell uh, the property management, hey, 
if I can't have this date, can I have the next date? You know, and back and forth. I go like that for at least about a month before I really lay down what date, what time, and where I'm at and stuff like that. Now, is there like a specific kind of car that you guys are usually kind of like a specific kind of car owner that you guys are usually catering to, or is there a little bit of everything? No, we go after all makes and models. Uh, I have a, I drive an import, a 98 Acura RL. So whenever I go to car shows, I get kind of shunned out because we'll go to a lot of classic, you know, car shows and stuff like that. And uh, that's where I came up with the car club, no love car club. You know, because I was like, you know what? I'm getting no love from these guys. So I said, all my shows are going to be open to all makes and models, custom and classic, no matter what. If you want to come in the gate with grandma's car and pay me the $20 to register and be in the show and you feel like you, you know, should be there, then I'm open. Green is the universal color. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, is there a particular kind of car or group, uh, car club, car group that uh, fares better than others or is more supportive? Um, the Mopar Club. Really? I get a lot of love from them guys. Uh, some of them are friends of mine, and uh, they're going to be out at the show this year and uh, uh, get a lot of love for them. See, all you other car clubs, listen up now. The Mopar guys are making you look bad. <laughs> so... Uh, Along with some of the challenges you've had, what it's been easier than you thought it would be? Um, I thought at first, I thought about that when you asked in the email. Uh, over the past, you know, three, four years, it's just been easier getting all the uh, sponsors. Oh, really? Know, going cool. Out there That's cool. Going out there and talking to them. Instead of calling them on the phone or shooting them emails, I like to go into them face-to-face -face so that way they in, I can introduce myself to them. Tell them who I am. Tell them what I'm doing. Tell them what the, you know, charitable donations going to or anything like that. So that way they're not just, I'm not just some guy on the phone calling you, hey, I need some money. Send it my way. And I'll put your logo on a T-shirt and a flyer. Sure. Uh, you know, for only, be, for only doing this for the past three or four years, uh, it sounds like you're having pretty extraordinary growth. What are your hopes going forward for the for Casey Showdown? For Casey Showdown, I would love it to be one of the best shows in Kansas City. I would love it to be a show that everybody from out of state and in state would like to come to. Uh, eventually, we're going to turn it into a three-day show in 2020. So we're that's our main goal. So that way we can get all those big guys from Oklahoma, Texas, Kentucky, Tennessee, and all the surrounding states to come here. Because Kansas City, you know, it's growing and it's been growing. And the downtown scene here, and it's got so much going on that, you know, there's all kind of stuff to do if you come in from out of town. You know, one of the cool things about the shows that you've been doing is selecting specific beneficiaries for, your, for the fundraising. You choose somebody in need and then you forward all of the proceeds to them. How do you go about picking those people? Um, each one is different. Like the first year, we had my dad's, you know, paralysis recovery center next to Kansas City. Then the following years, we uh, chose uh, two people random. Uh, one was a lady who lost her husband in a motorcycle accident and was going through some hard times. So we were, helped her out. And it was Nick's Kansas City edition who 
was a Marine, and he came back and got into a car accident and passed away, and we helped his family out. So we'll try to pick someone locally that we can help out. And this year, uh, we're going for the Veterans Community Project. All right. Uh, so you've got three shows that are coming up, uh, mm-hmm. your larger shows here in the next few months. Uh, first one being Black, Poly, uh, Black Party on the Boulevard. Tell us what it is, where it is, and who is invited. Okay, the Block Party on the Boulevard is on Southwest Boulevard, right underneath I-35 in highway or in or freeway, whatever. And what it is, there's a pretty sufficient amount of space down there. They have a First Friday's kickback down there, mm-hmm. uh, first Friday of every month. And I was like, what better place to do it than there? And it brings you back to that old school cruising up and down the boulevard, Stop in real quick, say hi to your friends, let everybody look at your car, pull in and pull out, cruise downtown. You know, there's a lot of people, I don't know if you know, but they cruise up and down the boulevard through downtown a lot. Sure. Then what we'll do there is I got a couple of food vendors and stuff like that for people to stop, hang out, grab something to eat, you know, see the cars that come in and go and, you know, be on your way, cruise home or cruise there. It's open to everybody. Anybody can come, 6 p.m. to probably like midnight or until they shut us down. Most of the time, they get shut down about midnight. And that's starting from uh, KC Auto Works at 505 Southwest Boulevard? Yep. It's starting around in that section. If you come down there and it looks busy, you'll have to drive around for a little bit to find you a parking spot. That's just how it is. If you've ever been down there Friday night on a really nice Friday night downtown Kansas City, it is busy. And that's the night before pre-party for the KC Showdown. Yeah, KC Showdown is that following Sunday at T-Bones Baseball Stadium for 9 to 3 p.m. And that's one of the biggest, you know, one of our bigger shows that we do. Then we also got the September 14th show in Columbia, Missouri at Fletcher's Truck Cat. The I-70 Showdown. Yeah, the I-70 Showdown. The KC Showdown is June 30th from 9 to 3 at T-Bone Stadium, 800 Village West Parkway in Kansas City, Kansas. There's a $20 registration for participants, free to spectators, and it's supporting the Veterans Community Project. The I-70 Showdown is a car, truck, and bike show September 14th from 10 to 4 a.m. at Flesher's Caps, 1270 East Boone Industrial Drive in Columbia, Missouri. Also a $20 registration, but free for spectators, and it's supporting the Boys and Girls Clubs of Columbia. Uh, Denny, thanks for being with us tonight. I appreciate it. Uh, And we will have the links to all of those on uh, readthedriven.com. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) 